Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO and managing partner of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor. I'm a coach, a husband, recently a grandfather. Now, along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've achieved by continuing to elevate in living a fulfilled life by making a positive difference in my world. I'm going to invite you to join me as I delve into the details of the many wins of my guests in achieving their goals, along with, shall we say, the frustrations of the occasional deal gone wrong, because my guests are here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them in business and investing in real estate, from the life they're now able to live to the person they become along the way as they pursued their dreams in having the freedom they've gained by building a sustainable financial future for them and their family. Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this episode of the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Before I introduce my guest, I must always start by first thanking you for listening in and for your support of the feedback you provide us on the show, as well as to encourage you to continue to send your comments, your suggestions, or questions directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That is CEO at RainCanada.com. And if you're inclined because you love the show, I'd very much appreciate it if you were to share this link with your friends, your family, other people that you know, even people you don't know. Rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And while you're at it, please follow us on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. So thanks again for the feedback you provide the team and I. It is definitely appreciated. My guest today, Tembi Becca, is a real estate investor, an entrepreneur, and a past Rain member on and off again for more than a dozen years. Her journey from her hometown of Balawayo in Zimbabwe to Canada was as a refugee where she escaped some very challenging and difficult conditions. Today, she is the founder and the host of her podcast, She Breaks Through. And Tembi is a strong advocate and passionately believes in helping women reignite their passion, gain more clarity, and reconnect with their bigger or biggest purpose. Tembi is a driving force for empowering women in Africa, and as a result, she trains women on opportunities of creating income online, working as virtual assistants. She's on a mission to empower 1 million women by 2025, so that money is never a reason a woman is stuck in an abusive relationship. Today, Tembi is an accomplished speaker and has inspired audiences at the many live events where she spoke, including PLF Live 2019, LaunchCon 2018, African High Tea, and upcoming Inbound 2019. And today, she joins me to share her inspired view of the world, a seemingly ordinary individual that is producing extraordinary results. Tembi Becca, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. I'm so incredibly excited to have you on the show today. Welcome. Thank you, and I'm so excited to be here. So, Tambi, we got to know each other to the degree that we did when you became a RAIN member and you became a real estate investor. Were you a RAIN member? You're still a RAIN member, I think. Are you still part of RAIN? I don't even recall anymore. No, I'm not because I had to uh, move to Zimbabwe, so I kind of had to cancel my membership there. But I was a RAIN member for 
Actually, I'll say 10 years on and off. Yeah. I'll be a rain member for three years and then I'll get carried away and then I'll come back. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. So, I mean, we're going to talk about Zimbabwe. I mean, you don't, you don't go from, you know, the interior of BC to Zimbabwe without a story and a, a bit of a, you know, a a journey and a history around that. And where I want to enter the conversation, which I generally do with my guests is, you know, when you've got that one question that get asked, Tembi, what do you do? What's your answer to that question? I'm a real estate investor and a business coach. That's simple. What kind of business do you coach? And tell me about all of that. Wow, that could take us days. But basically, I I have, my journey has uh, transitioned really from, you know, I'm still a real estate investor. I think once a real estate investor, always a real estate investor. Sure. But I'm now always, uh, I'm now coaching women, mainly women. I coach women how to break through in their business. And I also mentor women in Zimbabwe how to be virtual assistants. Now, tell me about the coaching women. Are you coaching women investing in real estate specifically in Zimbabwe or or also in Canada? All over. My clients range from Australia, the United States and Canada. And really, it's not just investing in real estate, but it's it's breaking through in their business. So having those business breakthroughs. So people have a lot of mental blocks, which stop them from saying, I can't do this. And this is just helping them break through from the I can't to I can and achieving results. Tell me a little bit about that journey. So let's go back in and say, you know, where did that kind of start? No, actually, I'm going to even go back further. Were you born in Canada? No. So uh, it will be easier definitely to tell the story from the yeah, beginning. Yeah. Yes. So I wasn't born in Canada. I was born in Zimbabwe. I moved to Canada in 2001. And when I moved here, I came from a very um, uncomfortable situation. And recently I started sharing this story. I wasn't comfortable sharing it before, but I started sharing how when I was uh, pregnant, five months pregnant, I found out that my husband had two other wives and five children. So I was a third wife. And um, that's really kind of what pushed me and inspired me to to leave, but I didn't have money. So I came here as a refugee. I moved to Canada as a refugee in 2001. And through that journey, uh, I ended up becoming a registered nurse and I worked as a registered nurse. And through that journey, I realized I still had that passion that I want to impact women. I want to help other women who are stuck in the same situation I was, but I just wasn't sure how to do it. And so through that journey, I came across a a flyer which said, invest in real estate and get out of the rate race. I was like, oh, maybe that's what I could do and get more money and help other women. And so I I came across Rain somehow, somewhere in that, and I was hooked. And you started investing in real estate. You started learning how to invest in real estate. Yes, the best investment I ever made was uh, joining Rain. I, I think at that time because I didn't believe in myself and I didn't believe that I could really buy a property with other people's money, and so I joined Rain and I started investing in real estate. And as I invested, I eventually managed to quit my nursing job. I was a registered nurse. I moved to Kelowna, beautiful Kelowna in Canada. For some of you who don't know where that is, I moved to Kelowna, and through that process, I remember I I. I had canceled my RAIN membership and I went back. I was feeling that loneliness and that gap and I decided to go back to RAIN. And I started listening to audios and one of the audios was from Peter Kinch. And he said, if you have the ability to make more money and change the world and you are not doing so, you're selfish. Mm. And I was like, oh my God, 
I should do something. I should start impacting other people. And Africa had always been in my mind of how can I change things in Africa? I was doing some projects, but it wasn't really, it wasn't making a dent. And so I decided maybe I need to learn how to teach people in Africa how to invest in real estate. So I started that journey and I started having students and I coached a few students, but I realized that a lot of people I was coaching were men. The women were not forthcoming. And even if they were, there would be, there were so many barriers. And I went to Zimbabwe uh, a few years ago and I said, I need to dig deep. What's really stopping the women? And when I got there, I realized that there were so many confidence issues in the women in Zimbabwe. There were so many uh, financial restraints and they just, it, it, real estate investing was way above their head way above their head. They just needed money to put food on the table. And that's really how the virtual assistant training came about. But also one thing which came out of that trip was I realized that how I had kind of disconnected with my big why and my passion, and I was really losing it. And so I started noticing how when you disconnect with your passion and you with your big why, you, can, you don't get results. And I noticed this in a lot of women because we are naturally as women, we are driven by high oxytocin levels. And one of those things is helping other people and just giving back. And I realized that a lot of the women also were just being in that situation where they were feeling deflated and not really achieving success. And that was blocking their success. So I started talking to people and started coaching one-on-one. -on -one, and that's really how it came up about where I was starting coaching women, just to have those mental breakthroughs and to reach success. Let me go back. And, and I don't want to step over any of what you just said, but I do want to go back a little bit. And now you're, uh, you're a young lady. And how old were you when you left Zimbabwe? I was 22. So you found out that your husband had done what your husband had done. You mm -hmm. had, had you been married to him for some time? No, it was uh, about eight months. Right. And so where did the fortitude come to say, okay, I'm going to, pack up my bags and move to Canada. I mean, that's a, that's a big leap, Africa to Canada. Where did that thought process come? Were you a nurse in Zimbabwe at the time as well? No, no, I wasn't. You know, I, at that time I was driven by my situation. And I think when your situation is so desperate, the question you ask yourself and which I keep asking people is what's the worst that could happen? At that time, the worst, there was nothing worse that could happen. And I was like, I just have to get out of this situation. I went to tell my mom and she said, if you leave, who's going to take care of you? And to me, those words stuck. I was like, okay, so my life has to depend on somebody because they are taking care of me. And I, and I remember in the plane, I wrote the letters pods and it stood for prominent association of widows, divorces, and spinsters. And I was so determined that I was going to change the lives of women in Zimbabwe and generally in the world. But at that time, I think what really drove me was the desperation to say, what's the worst that could happen? And I might as well just leave and try to have a better future for my daughter. I left my daughter. She was 10 months at that time. I left her with my mom. So you have the support of your mom to make that move. I can't imagine you as a mom to actually leave your 10 month old child, that was, would have been a huge decision for you to make. Can you tell me why Canada? That's one question I want to ask and I'll just leave it at that. Why Canada? How did that show up in your, of all of the places you could move to? I just went to the, cause I was a refugee. And so you just went to the people who were the political party I was part of. 
And they just told me that, well, there's two options, Canada or, or UK. In Canada, you'll go to school. In UK, you'll go to work. I didn't know any better. I was like, I want to go to school. I'm going to Canada. And then actually it's funny because they got my ticket and they asked me, well, you can go via France or Egypt. And I always had this dream that I wanted to see Paris. You know, when you see in movies, Paris seems like a beautiful place. Well, I've, I still haven't been to Paris. So I was like, oh, I'm going to go via Paris, via Air France, so that I can stop over in Paris and see Paris. I didn't know that when you're on stopover, you can't get out of the plane, but it was a lesson. <laughs> well, and, and so you're out to change the world. So, But you didn't come into Canada. You came into Canada, and that was about survival. It was about yeah. how do I create a new life and how do I support myself? And so you came to Canada, which is very interesting because lots of controversy right now, as you know, in Canada about the, you know, Canada's refugee program. They're opening the gates and there's all sorts of conflicting stories and, and probably quite different from when you came to Canada. But at that time, how was important? How important was that program for you? It sounds like it was everything for you to be able to come to Canada. It changed my life. You know, Patrick, if I hadn't come to Canada, I would still be, I don't know, maybe I'll have 10 children. Not that there's anything wrong with having 10 children. And maybe I, maybe I'll have died. I actually think I'll have died. Mm. Yeah. I'll, because HIV is so rampant in Zimbabwe, I probably would have died. So you came to Canada, obviously no money whatever program Canada had in place, you, you leveraged, you took, and I, and I, I mean, you took advantage of it. You actually used the program and, and you got yourself an education called nursing. Is that, is that, am I following the right path there? Debbie? Yes. Yes. And, mm-hmm. and along the way, of course, so you start to make reasonably good money as a nurse. I'm sure you get to live a bit of your passion, which is helping others. I mean, that's what you're built to do. You recognize that in yourself. Now, did your daughter, did you get your daughter from mom and and your daughter came to Canada at some point? Yes, my daughter came when she was four. I was still in Montreal. I lived in Montreal at that time. I was still in Montreal. It was actually my last year of nursing school. So the program, the same program helps you sponsor your child to come to to join you. So it helped me and eventually she joined me. A very good reunion, I can say. You had good support from your mom. Was your dad involved in, in that relationship as well? No, I actually never had a relationship with my dad. I actually didn't see him until I was 20. The first time I saw him and I only saw him for a year. So your story really is one of perseverance, of mindset, of getting through probably lots of blocks around fear and uncertainty. Can you remember back at the time, like, what were you thinking? How were you waking up in fear every day or were you waking up in going, I got this, or I'm just excited about where it can go. How how were you thinking back at that time? It's interesting. That's a very good question. I don't know if I was thinking. <laughs> I think I was just surviving. It was, okay, I had food on my table. I'm so grateful, and I live a life of gratitude. Uh, for me, it was just being grateful every day that I'm alive, grateful every day that I have food on my table, especially living in Canada. Seriously, there's nothing to be not grateful about. You've got every resource everybody else doesn't have. And so every day was a life of gratitude. It was hard. I'm not going to say that it it was easy, especially the years before my daughter joined me, not seeing your child for four years. It was very hard. But every day I just found something little to just be grateful for. Now, this many years later, you've been in Canada. How long? How many years have you been in Canada now, Tempe? 18. 18 years. And uh, your daughter, is she still in Canada? Yes, she's in university first year. Oh, wonderful. So 
you got to know your daughter at four years old. You really start to really embrace and, and engage that relationship. You came to Kelowna. When did you move from Montreal to Kelowna? Well, I moved from Montreal to Edmonton. Oh. When I first graduated, I realized that I wasn't speaking good enough French. So I needed to go to a province which was English for, for nursing. So I moved to Edmonton, and that's really how I came across RAIN. And I was a RAIN member in uh, 2006. That's when I started this whole RAIN membership thing and um, moved to Edmonton. And then I moved to Kelowna in 2013. So tell me a little bit about your investing background, because you have built a, a portfolio to the degree that you built it. Now, how did you manage to do that? I mean, you're a single mom, you're a nurse. Were you at that time, had you learned about joint ventures or had you just saved enough money to be able to buy your own real estate? How did that start for you? So I hadn't, but there's something, one story which inspired me uh, in the book by a uh, Don, I think it was 51 success stories of real estate invest by Don Campbell. Mm -hmm. There was a nurse in that book. Her name was Catherine Brooker. And she, she had, I, I remember reading that book and I think she had 35 properties or something like that. I was like, oh my God, there's a nurse who's doing this. I guess I can do it. And I actually, I couldn't, it's funny because I couldn't afford it. Maybe I could, but I, I didn't feel like it was worth buying a, a, a book. So I was reading this book at, at, um, chapters that's what it was called chapters south edmonton and um and then I, i'm reading this book and I, and I literally went to the google and looked up her phone number when we still used to have 411 phone numbers listed and i called her and i said i just saw your story and can you tell me more how did you do it and all that stuff and she was impressed that i read a story from the book and i found her number and so eventually we met up and she said you need to come to rain and that's how I really got into rain through Catherine Brooker. Yeah, and and Catherine Brooker is an amazing lady. So you couldn't <laughs> you couldn't have fallen into hands of anybody more uh, supportive. So that's great. What a that's cool. But good for you. To her point, that you actually said, "I got to talk to this person and see where I can get some some guidance and support." Now, here we are today. And so you continued your real estate investing journey and you continued nursing at that time? Yes, I continued nursing uh, until 2013 because I invested in real estate. And then you had this this program, you brought in uh, Barry Maguire as well, the Rapid Cash Program. Yes. And I, I took that program and which was teaching you how to buy properties with no money down and how to do agreements for sale and rent to own. And I took that program and that also was a big shift for me in mindset and a big financial shift for me because I was able using that program to finally create, because you know, when you invest in real estate, especially when you're starting, you just buy properties because you are buying properties. You don't, uh, sometimes you forget, sometimes you are, you don't look at the cash flow and all that stuff. And then you join Rain, you realize, yeah, I probably should have bought for cash flow <laughs> and looked at in that. So, so as you go on, you learn. But what that did for me, that program, it started making me realize that I could make the lump sum of money instead of three hundred dollar cash flow a month. I could do like a deal, which could give me ten thousand, fifteen thousand, twenty thousand, and that really changed a lot of things for me. And it gave me courage to move from Edmonton to Kelowna. And using that, using that um, program, I started investing. Uh, and doing rent-to-owns and getting other joint venture partners to do rent-to-owns with them. I basically built my portfolio using joint venture money. 
So that rapid cash program is, uh, you know, I just want to touch on it because we're actually at the time of this recording, we're, we're doing another rapid cash program with Barry McGuire actually in Toronto. And uh, we're just finishing one in Edmonton. But the question for you, when you came across rapid cash, you also had a realization called buy and hold strategy works two or 300 bucks a month in terms of cash flow, but that's a long-term game. And Rapid Cash gave you the resource or the the insights and education to generate income today. Yes. So you t- you turned it in an, uh, into an opportunity where you could do deals 10, 15, 20, whatever the spread was in between and make some income. That was really what you embraced. Absolutely. And, you know, um, I do have to say I didn't get rid of my, my buy and hold properties. Those buy and hold properties are really what has given me the courage to move to Zimbabwe because I'm like, I can retire and I know that in however many years are left, I'll have all my mortgages paid off. But with the, the rapid cash, it gave me equity at that time to do stuff. It gave me money to even start thinking about how do I learn how to teach other people how to do this? Like it gave me that strategy. Yeah, you know something I do recall now, Tembi, that you were quite a poster child for that program because you really took it on and you just made it work. And uh, and I do recall that. So it's so yes. interesting to catch up to you now this this many years later in terms of having a real conversation or a more in-depth conversation and uh, to reflect back on that time. And I was observing from the sidelines, of course, your journey and and how you're going and 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 then now into Zimbabwe, where you actually have a, a real, I guess we'll call it a, a, a strong intention and, and passion about having an impact on women of Zimbabwe and teaching them how to invest in real estate and, and as well as supporting them in business. Is there opportunities in Zimbabwe for real estate investors or is that, what, is that part of what you're teaching them as well? Or give me a little bit more about what you're, the difference you're trying to make in Zimbabwe. No, um, in, te- in regards to real estate in Zimbabwe, there's really not much of an opportunity because it's very inflated. And Rain gave me the foundation of buying real estate properties. Uh, and definitely the fundamentals, as Donald say, they are not there. Like there's no strong fundamentals in Zimbabwe right now to invest. And there's no, the market is just weak. However, what I, I decided to do when I got there, because at first I was going to do all this whole real estate thing. And I realized, no, this is not good. This is not healthy. And the people are not there yet. People just want food on the table. People get paid hundred US dollars a month to survive. And I realized that what I need to do is to increase their income before you even think of real estate investing. First of all, get income, you create income. And most of the people who are affected are women. Those are the ones who I'm passionate about, are passionate about empowering women. So I started teaching them how they could be virtual assistants, basically work online and be somebody's assistant online. And that's really what I started teaching. And in my class, Patrick, um, we had people like an oncologist, lawyers, doctors, geologists, people with PhDs, and you start talking to them and they're like, yeah, but I only earn 250 US dollars a month. And you're like, oh my God, it is such a sad situation. And really, if anyone is listening right now, I encourage you to think, not even just to go and do something, but just think of taking a trip to a third world country. Because it's just going to change your perspective and it's going to change the way you think. 
it's just not going to a Mexican beach, but going right deep and just see how other people live. Because that me staying in Zimbabwe has just realized how entitled I was becoming by staying in Canada. You said it earlier, which is in Canada, we do lose some perspective in terms of just how great Canada is. And not always. I know I go through times myself where this is normal. Living in Canada is normal and and living the life I live is normalized. I've normalized it, which is kind of the nature, you know, human nature. But there is a time where you sometimes it is really impactful and beneficial to uh, have a different perspective. And and to your point, I've not been to a third world, world country and really spent time in that situation. Um, I've seen kind of on the outskirts of it and it is impactful. It does give you cause for pause and to reflect in, on how, how good we've got it. What's interesting is that from my perspective in terms of what you've done in Zimbabwe and taking it on, so virtual assistance, we have a a very international team ourselves, even with Rain and Legacy and the initiatives that we have. We have actual virtual assistants, many of them out of the Philippines. But ultimately, you, you look at those countries and there's some really great, bright talent that you get to tap into. You recognize that. And then you actually went in and said, I can make a difference in these women's lives. Now, you're a public speaker. You, I've seen you invited to some pretty big events. Tell me a little bit about how that showed up and and how you were able to create that opportunity. Yeah, it's amazing, Patrick, what happens when you um, let down your guard and just open up about your life. I shared earlier on when we started the podcast that I wasn't comfortable sharing my story. It was embarrassing for me. It was embarrassing to sh- to tell people that I was a bad wife. It's, it's something which you don't just go out there yelling at people. Uh, and so... When I let that gut down and I just got that confidence to say, I want to I wanna start sharing my story and I want to impact many more other people, I just started, people were inspired. People were motivated to take action. And that's really what has been happening. So the more people I shared my story with, the more people said, I want to bring you to my audience. I want you to inspire my audience. I want you to help my audience take action. Because as we were talking about earlier on, people here have so many excuses they will give you an, oh, I can't invest in real estate because I have to pay a credit card. I started investing in real estate when I had $16,000 in student loan debt. So people, you know, you just need to get over it. You just need to get over those excuses. And that's one thing really I um, I do very well is to just go to these audiences. And that's that has been helping me uh, get on stages and, and share my message to just help people take action and get over themselves, basically. <laughs> well, you know, I'm interested in this part of the story where, you know, you felt some shame around your story or some embarrassment around it, whatever that was for you. I just did an, an interview with a lady by the name of Norma Bastidas. And Norma Bastidas has a, a, a story around, and she was part of human trafficking. So she became, she was kidnapped in Mexico and she was taken off and there's a whole story around it. It's going to be, it's a great, great, very interesting interview that I did with her, but ultimately she was at a point in her life, a sex slave and was a child, you know, a young lady, very young. I wouldn't say child, but very young. And she held, she held on to that story for many, many years before she shared it. And to your point, when she shared that story, it opened up. And when she got passionate about 
actually sharing the story and getting the message out and actually trying to make a difference in that world, it opened up all sorts of doors. So there's a psychology behind it, it seems. And this is me being, you know, I'm not a psychologist, but I do see those patterns with, with women particularly. I'm sure they exist with men where you have those stories and you overcome them, you come overcome the adversity, but you have that story and you go, no, I'm not sharing that. I'm not, what was the tipping point for you to say, no, I got to tell people about it. How did that come about? Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Francie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, for me, the tipping point I think was the trip I took to Zimbabwe, the last trip I took to Zimbabwe before I started sharing the story. Uh, when I got there, I realized that women were still, it wasn't, I thought 18 years later, things have changed, but women were still stuck in, in relationships and in marriages where there was abuse. And I remember this story of a girl who at 24, she, she was so desperate with her life. She was selling her body to, to make money. And at 24, she just committed suicide and she actually killed her two toddlers. She gave two toddlers, uh, poison. And, you know, once again, Patrick Francis Sweat, um, Peter King Sweat came back and said, if you have the ability to make more money and change the world and you are not doing so, you're selfish. And I'm like, why am I not, why am I not doing that? And I went to this event and somebody started asking me about my story and I just started sharing my story and I just broke down. And I think the tipping point came from seeing the situation in Zimbabwe and also obviously connecting with this person at one event. And I just started sharing my story and I never stopped. And that opened doors. And so beyond Zimbabwe and, and having this business called training women to be virtual assistants and, and providing business coaching, is that your, is that your primary focus now? And that's what you do, or is there more to your story and some of your vision that you've got going on right now? Yeah, I have a few things going on. So one of the things I do is I take uh, women specifically to Africa. It's called uh, Rediscover the Lioness Within. So I help them kind of go through their own stories and kind of just rediscover that passion and reconnect with their big why. And we go on a, it's a, it's a safari trip. It's a 12-day safari trip, basically 12-day safari mastermind where I take these women to Zimbabwe. That's one thing. And then the virtual assistant I trained at first, I said, go out there, fly, get jobs. But I realized that they were having such a hard time with the whole getting out there, flying and getting jobs. They were not confident yet. And so we have turned that into a virtual assistant agency. So we, we work with them and they work through us, through our virtual assistant agency. We monitor their work and they work for a lot of companies in the United States and Canada. So that is the other aspect of, of the job and basically the coaching program I have. So when you're taking women, you're you're taking women from women in Canada, North America mainly, yeah. In North America, and you're taking can be them, anywhere, but most of the people I've taken are from North America. Okay, and then you're going over to Zimbabwe. You're having yes. that is a twelve day. Did you say twelve day workshop? Yes, it's a twelve day workshop. Wow, yeah. that, that sounds very intense. Now, are these uh, generally you know women that are with come come from or come with North American privilege? and or opportunities and you're giving them part of what you're doing is giving them perspective and an opportunity to be a contribution i'm assuming that tell me a little bit about the program maybe some people yes. listening to it that yes. want to know. so the last one we did was 10 days so it varies it could be 10 to 12 days depending on the group but the last one we did was 10 days and we take these women uh 
here with the American perspective, just to kind of, we say it's a mastermind. Most of them are high executives or entrepreneurs. Those are the type of people I get. And so it's a mastermind. And we, we go through this mastermind for 10 days. We get there. They meet most of my students who've gone through my training. They hear their stories. They hear what they've gone through, what they have achieved, the ups and the downs they've gone through. And during that time, we also look at their business and we look at their personality and, and basically the whole emotional, I don't do physical. Um, I just do basically the whole emotional and business mindset, which they have around in the fears. What is your fear of not taking the leap? And what I have noticed with those trips is it changes lives. People come back with a different perspective altogether. People come back with, um, with, oh my God, I was so entitled. That's one thing which comes a lot. I was so entitled and people start action. Really, if you are thinking of taking your business to the next level, you need to go to a third world country. Unfortunately, I can't take you, Patrick, but <laughs> I was, <laughs> since you've never been you to need, a third You need world to country, run a men's program. You need to go. <laughs> yeah, you, need, you just need to run a men's program, Tembi. <laughs> when you look at how you came up, you know, how you were brought up, the environment that you were in, and how you've emerged as a leader, how intentional are you around your own self-discovery? And how intentional are you around your own study of leadership? Is it is it something that you have a practice around in terms of training or reading? How How very focused are you on being a great leader, a great facilitator, and understanding how the dynamics of coaching other people how how much time and energy do you put into that i don't know if i had any intentionality starting out because i was telling myself you know it's just it just happens but as i grow and that's one thing which i really liked about being a rain member because you started bringing in that leadership aspect uh into rain and that was very helpful for me and as i grew i realized that leadership was so important and i've started i do a lot of personal development now for myself. But when I started, I don't think it's something that really was clicking. Maybe there was no click, no connection. But now I realize that it is so important. I do a lot of personal work. I do, I have a morning routine. I have, I do a lot of personal work for myself. And that's really what has kept me going despite the challenges I've met in Zimbabwe. Yeah, I guess that's really the question to make it a less confusing question is that you hear comments that that person is a born leader. And is there such a thing as a born leader? Is it nature? Is it nurture? Is it something that, you know, that you actually say, you know, something, I want to be a great leader, therefore I study leadership. I study who I am. I work through my programs. Is That's what I mean by intentionality. Okay. Yeah, I think so. I think you have to, I don't think anyone is born a great leader. I think you have to invest in yourself and invest in your in your education. It could be through books and could be through taking lessons. You learn. It's something you learn. It's not something which is natural. That's what I believe. Yeah. And and I I I see that consistently that with all of the individuals that I've interviewed over the past couple of years, is that time and time again, there is always time spent on improvement. How do I communicate better? How do I view the world differently? To me, great leadership is you understanding that I need a perspective. I'll go hang out in a third world country to get it. Now, it happens to be a country where you were born, but that in itself is leadership. That is saying, I'm going to put myself in an uncomfortable situation where I'm going to actually open my eyes to what is really going on outside of my bubble. 
And I think that's leadership. I mean, that's all part of it. So I, I just asked the question of, do you, is that really an intentional thought process? Because people don't necessarily know how did she become that way? You know, how is it that Tembi comes from, you know, a background, single mom, has a child, gets into a, a, a messed up marriage, you know, moves to Canada as a refugee, gets an education, brings her daughter over, invests in real estate, all of a sudden now is, you know, speaking on world stages and making a difference in people's lives. Like, think about that and you go, wow, did that just happen or... Yeah, that's very interesting, Patrick. I also think it goes back to who you surround yourself with. Mm. It honestly goes back to your community. I The first thing is your network is your net worth. I think I had this first at Rain. And it's something which is so strong to me because the moment I stopped, and I remember how I, t- I shared earlier on that I was a Rain member and then I went out. The moment I was out of that group, the moment I was just me being like, surrounding myself with regular people, all this magic <laughs> stopped. <laughs> That's funny, yeah. The magic stopped, and they're like, huh, I have to go back to rain so the magic starts again. So <laughs> so it's it, it, I think it's who you surround yourself with because when I'm listening to you, when I come to a rain event and you're telling me about a book which you read, we are telling you're giving us lessons, or Richard Dolan is giving us a class about leadership. To me, that opens up a lot of things for me. And it just takes me beyond just being a regular Tembi. So along the way, I'm sure that you, like the rest of us, have made some mistakes. And is there some mistakes that you made that in reflection turned out to be a blessing in disguise that come to mind? Yeah, there are some. I definitely have, like everybody else, have made a lot of mistakes. But I think the biggest one for me was not investing early enough in my in myself. Mm. I, I, there's so many opportunities which came to me where I needed to invest and the scarcity mindset got into the way and I'll say, you can't afford this. You don't have enough money to do this. You don't have, I'll give you an example. When uh, rain first offered the, the rapid cash, it was in 2000 and I think it was with, uh, what was his name? The guy from the United States. And I, I, I didn't because I got it's, I got into my mind that I couldn't do this. Then I see people who invested in that program and they were way further ahead than me. And that keeps that scarcity mindset keeps kicking in sometimes where I would delay investing in a program. And I realized later on that, oh, my God, I should have gone in with that. And it's not just in investing in a program, but it's it's just the scarcity mindset uh, factor. And also, as I said, it goes back to who you surround yourself with, because when you're in that scarcity mindset, if you surround yourself with people who have the scarcity mindset, they're not going to help you. They're just going to tell you that's a waste of money. Sounds like a cult if you want to join. So yeah, there is a lot of, for me, I think that was one of the biggest regrets I have. And I still have sometimes delaying my investments. Do you have a definition, Tembi, for success for you? Yeah, for me, it's it's impacting many people's lives and changing many people's lives. I believe success is not about money is good. Yes, we do need money to change the world. But I believe it's about how many lives you change in the world. That's really what is success for me. 
is it about quantity? Is it, you know, is your metrics, I want to change a million people's lives or 10 million people's lives? Do you have that kind of a goal or that kind of a metric? Yes, I do. Actually, right now, my goal is to impact 1 million women uh, by 2025. So that those are the metrics I'm using to measure my success right now. But, you know, I'm hoping to exceed that number. And if I don't, obviously, I'll be disappointed. And the reason why I did put a number to it is because I realized that when I just said I want to change women's life, I wasn't going out there and putting effort to it. So when I decided to quantify that number and put that number, and it's something, and then I divided it over years, and I was like, okay, this year I'm impacting this many people, next year I'm impacting many people. I intentionally go out there and, as I said, go on stages and look for how many people can I impact this year so that I can reach my number and reach my goals because nobody doesn't want to reach their goals. So for me, having a number helps me reach my goals, and I do hope to exceed them. That's great. And so tell me a little bit about your, your, your agency in terms of training for virtual uh, assistance. Do you have a team? Like how many people on your team? What kind of staff have you built for yourself, Tembi? Yes, we have a team. We actually have, um, the team is, is different. We have a project manager who oversees the whole project and we have uh, two trainers who help train these women uh, right now. And I do a lot of training myself, but I also have people who help me with the training. And then we have five team leaders who oversee the staff. So they are basically team leaders for each group uh, and depending on which specialty they have. And so they they lead the team. That's basically our team. And so your intention is to then scale that business and to continue to grow it, expand it, and then, of course, change the 25 million uh, women's lives. A million women's life, not 25 million yet, <laughs> okay. but a million. Yeah. No, one million. Well, let's up the number. One million, okay. not 25 million yet. Yeah, one million. <laughs> okay, I, I'm all about, yeah, I'm all about supersizing. So, okay, I got it. So, so, so. Well, you know, yeah, maybe let's make it 25. <laughs> but yes, yes, the, the goal is to scale the business. And I'm, I'm tra- we continually have trainings every month. We have one right now, which is going on. And we're going to start another one in June. And Basically, it's just to scale. And it's not just about Zimbabwe. And I know that, uh, yes, I'm from Zimbabwe, but it's basically about empowering women from all over the world. So it's our nest. We're hoping that by the end of the year, we're going to be going to neighboring countries and kind of just going, because if you're going to make an impact in the world, Patrick, I think, especially in Africa, you need to start by empowering women because women, studies have shown this, women give back to their communities. Women have a greater impact in their communities when they make money than men. No offense to the lovely gentlemen listening. <laughs> <laughs> none, none taken. There's, so tell me a little bit, in, in if you can, Tambi, is what does empowering women mean to you? If you were to describe that to somebody, what does it mean? It means giving them enough ability so that they can have choice a choice to do what they want when they want. Because right now, uh, a lot of women are not empowered. Even here in Canada, it's not just in Zimbabwe. There are women who are in relationships, and, and it's not just about relationships, love relationships. It could be with your mother. It could be with anybody. You are in that comfortable, an uncomfortable relationship because of finances. You're like, oh, if I tell my mother the truth, she's not going to give me money to pay rent this month, you know, or something like that. So for me, empowering is giving somebody the ability, uh, enough money so that they can make their own choices without having to depend on anybody. So do you spend in your coaching, do you spend a lot of time on the actual understanding of finances? You know, you, you've learned over the years as a, 
as a nurse and because you're drawing an income, you're living in Canada as a real estate investor, you start to understand money and the dynamics of paying bills and, and having the responsibility of making money and doing all of the things that is, is, do you spend a lot of time on that financial education for the women? Yes. And I always, uh, I'm, I'm biased. So I tell them that when now that you're making more money, think of buying a house or think of investing in real estate. So I am biased towards real estate, but yes, I definitely do spend quite a bit. There's a lot of mindset in my coaching, a lot of mindset, um, coaching more than anything else. And then we do talk about, uh, so what do you do next now that you've got income? Because it's not for you to go buy a Louis Vuitton handbag. Nothing wrong with that, but it's for you to start reinvesting in yourself. So when you're working through your coaching program, you're talking about mindset. What kind of mindset are you trying to create? Is there something that you can put your finger on and, and share with listeners in terms of that they might even take away from this particular interview? When you look at mindset, do you see patterns? Do you see common things that get in people's way? Is there anything that you would share from that perspective, Tembi? Yeah, I think a lot of it is the lack mindset, which I try to address. The scarcity mindset I spoke about, which sometimes I come across as well. But a lot, a lot of it is the lack mindset. I think, um, and this is overall, this is just not in Africa. This is something which we find everywhere. Where people feel, first of all, they cannot invest in themselves because they don't have enough. Or sometimes it's things like, who am I to do this? I'm coaching. Funny, I had a client yesterday I was coaching. She's in Arizona. And she's like, but I can't do that. I can't. Who am I to do that? And so most of our mindset is, who are you not to be? Who are you not to be who you are? Who are you not to be? If a girl like me, and it's easier for me to say, if a girl like me who came to Canada with $5 in her pocket can do this, why can't you? You know, because people have this, People have lies. There's so many lies which um, which we tell ourselves. And some of the lies is not because we were born telling ourselves, but it's because they came along the way. Maybe your primary school teacher or elementary school teacher told you something and you ingrain those lies in yourself, lies in yourself and you're telling yourself, I can't do this or I am not worth it or this is not for me. This is for those people who are like this. This is not for me. And my coaching basically breaks that and say, who are you not to be? Why is it not for you? What's so special about you? For, <laughs> so that, you know, why would it leave you? So that's really main, the main things I focus on, like the abundance mindset, the change, change your attitude kind of mindset. Like, who are you not to be this? Because people have so many, and we all do, we all do, but people just have to get out of their own way. They have so many excuses. They do. Yeah, you know, and, and of course, in the world of rain and all of the coaching that we do, it's amazing because really, rain is such a is is a, actually a national coaching program. You know, even with our monthly meetings, even online, and for me, that's how I look at it. There's always somebody to support. We we often see where people get in their way. How do you get them moving forward? So I, I really relate to what you're saying. Uh, you know, because we see the same we see the same blocks. Is you know, why can't you? And and why you've got the story that's saying you can't. Tembi, you always, whenever I see you, you come across, you're pretty high energy. You come across as a fairly busy lady. Are you as busy as you seem to be? Are you as engaged on a day-to-day -day, or have you got more time than you know what to do with? Stephanie and my, myself and I go, everybody goes, you guys are so busy. And I go, you know, Stephanie's answer is really good. She says, we're actually not that busy. We're just complicated. And, <laughs> and because we got so many different things going on. But so my question to you is, are you really busy? Are you, uh, are you always upbeat? Because you've always got a great attitude. 
And uh, how do you how do you sustain that? And how do you how do you look after yourself that way? So this is how my day goes. I'm an early morning person. And when I tell people, they're like, what? Why would you wake up that early? Just my body is used to that. So I wake up around between four and five. I'm up. And because now it's nice. I'm in Kelowna. It's beautiful. I, I do my morning walks. And I, I have a morning routine. And that actually determines if I am upbeat or if I'm downbeat. Mm. If I skip my morning routine, oh boy, that day doesn't go well. But um. If I do my morning routine, which includes meditation, writing in my gratitude journal and writing my affirmations, just things just flow easily. And I think really for me, the upbeat part is because I've seen worse. I have seen worse and I don't expect this from everybody, but I've been, I've lived in Zimbabwe and I've, I've seen people with no food and, and celebrating because you gave them an orange, you know, or something like that. And so for me, I, I don't see any reason. I, I just don't understand it when people are, are sad. Like, I, I don't get it. That's, yeah, I just struggle with that. So um, so that's really who I am. But in regards to busyness, I don't know if I'm busy because, as I said, I woke up at 4, today it was late, 4.30. I woke up at 4.30, did my morning routine, uh, helped my son, uh, dropped him off, and uh, and then I'm here with you. And by 2.30, my day is done. And I don't think that's busy. I think that's that's normal, and I think I have so much time on my hands sometimes. But I listen to a lot of podcasts. I'm a podcast binger, and if I am busy, it's because I'm either podcast binging or I am reading a book, and that's really what keeps me busy. And what helps me, I have to say, is I have a good team. When you have a good team behind you, it really helps you. It's they basically take over a lot of my stuff. So you've set yourself up and you have your morning routine. Do you have an evening routine as well? Is there some things, because those are always questions I get, you know, from listeners is, can you dig a little bit more into the morning routines, the evening routines, you know, individuals who have created a great business, great life. And what are some of their, what are some of their tips? So do you have a, you have a morning routine? I'm an early morning guy on my side of it. So I relate to you. And I have my routine and, and so, but what about in the evening? Do you, do you have an evening routine as well, Tempe? Unfortunately, I don't. Definitely we listen to meditation um, when we go to bed. That's definitely one thing I do. And I pray because I'm a Christian and I pray before I go to bed. But really, I don't know if that's called a routine. <laughs> I don't call it a routine. <laughs> well, it is. I mean, it's a way you wind down your day or you complete your day. I, I You know, uh, meditation as inconsistent as I am, meditation has been a part of my life for 25 years. And, and I can go through, I can go months where I meditate every day. And then I can go for months or even, well, not usually months, but weeks at least where I, where I'll skip my meditation. And I feel the effect of that. Yeah. My son, my son is six years old. And cause I started when he was young, he's really helped me with meditation. Cause when we go to bed, I will turn on the meditation thing. And so every time it's bedtime and there's no meditation, like mom, you forgot meditation. Mm. And I'm like, okay, we forgot meditation. So he's the one who reminds me a lot of the time. So you're having a great influence on your, uh, on your children as well. So that's, that's terrific. <laughs> <laughs> We all only hope that we have a great influence on our children, but they will go on their own journey. There's no doubt about that. So are you, are you now, do you continue to invest in real estate, Tembi? What are you doing in that regard? 
And real estate, I am not actively managing anything in real estate. I do have my portfolio. I have a property manager who takes care of it. Uh, he kind of tells me what's going on and what's not going on. And then I, if I see a good deal, I've been doing a, a few multifamily uh, investing and commercial investing. So if I see a good deal in multifamily and I feel like it's a good fit, I usually am the money partner. I do not want to be the the one who's taking care of the property. I don't have the, I don't think it's my strength. It's not my strength. Yeah, perfect. So tell me a little bit about when you were back growing up in Zimbabwe, you know, I always am amazed at these kinds of stories and how you got to where you are today. And, and of course, we talk about all the things that we talk about. But leading up to that, so as a child growing up in Zimbabwe, were you going to school? Did you, you know, you 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 got a nursing degree or you graduated as a nurse? Um, tell me a little bit about your growing up, your background, education background in Zimbabwe. The Zimbabwean, we, um, we're a British colony. So everything was kind of styled un, under the British system. So I went to school like everybody else. I, I was a smart kid. I was considered a smart kid, but I wasn't, the, I wasn't the kind of doctor smart. No, I wasn't there. I was just like a middle smart person. So I was a smart kid. And yes, I went to school and I graduated. I finished my A-levels, which is like pre-university in Zimbabwe. But because there's only, when I graduated, there were only two universities in Zimbabwe. And so many kids passing because education is very important there. So many kids passing. I couldn't even get into a university. I couldn't even I, I apply and get in. I, I wouldn't have been accepted. So I started doing what's called CIS. Uh, it's a long distance education program, which you do. It's more like Ch Chartered Institute of Secretaries. And I started doing that long distance because education is such an important factor in Zimbabwe. But there's something interesting I want to mention to you, Patrick, is because when you are growing in that poverty cycle and everything it's funny you don't see that you're poor you you just think you're the richest person in the world and and i realized that even when i went back now and you look at these people you're like i come and you're feeling so pathetic for them and they are so happy they've got they feel like they've got everything and so that's really it, it was like that for me growing up it was like I, I was okay i was i had a good life you know i had a good family i had even though I never had a bike growing up, but I was happy. I was content. And I don't know if you, did, have you, have you ever spoke with, or did you ever meet uh, Tahani Aburani? She was a RAIN member. I think I spoke to her once. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So she real estate investor, very accomplished in the world of real estate in, in uh, Ontario, Toronto area. And, uh, you know, I had her on the show, but she talks about her story, which was being brought up in a refugee camp in uh, Jordan. And, but she says the same thing, you know, here she is in a refugee camp and, and they're actually, they're happy. You know, it's like they had nothing. They didn't even know if they were going to survive day to day, but she had a great relationship with her brother. And, and, and so her story is, is similar to that. And so I guess we, what is normal is normal. And, you know, we go back to what we even talked about in Canada a little bit, you know, we've just normalized what this is, but we can make it so terribly wrong. And then you compare it to how you were raised uh, and like you say, in poor, and I, I, I don't know, maybe I didn't know there was anything better out there. So I was just happy to be a exactly. kid. <laughs> now, was there some character traits now that you look back, there's your, some character traits that now brought you and you can look back on and say, yeah, I was always destined to be an entrepreneur. I was always destined to be a, a business owner. Can you see that, that path for you? Or was that a real conscious thing for you to say, I'm going to, 
I'm going to run my own business. I think there were some character traits for me. I because it uh, I was in grade six, so that would have made me what eleven. I always was curious to say, okay, so how can I make money? How can I make money? Because I mean, as I say, my mom, we used to have school trips, and my mom could never afford to pay me to pay for a school trip. So I was always buying biscuits in packets and selling them one by one to other kids in class so that I could raise some money. So there was always that entrepreneurial thing going on. And I'm not sure if it was natural or if it was because of my, it was circumstantial. And I remember when I first started working, I just couldn't rely on a job alone. I just had to go and buy some stuff and come and sell, go to Zambia and come and resell and, and, and all that stuff. So I've always had this passion of just trying to, to create extra income so I could have a comfortable life. And so you did what you had to do a little bit initially, I guess, to survive. And then you turned it into something that you love and and get to be a contribution and make a difference in the world. And I'm sure that was inspiring for you to actually take on and start to develop this business that was really inspiring because you got to see the difference you were making to women in, in that world. Yeah, one of my drivers in life is to is to ch- is, is to see an impact I make in somebody's life. So if I give somebody ten dollars and I see them happy and smiling, it just it just changes my day. It just changes my day. And so I think because of that driver which I have, I always felt I always feel that I have to create more income so that I can impact more people. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to always do something to impact more people. So that's your why. That's the big difference yes. for you. You really are clear on the difference that you can make in that world and you're going to take it on and and uh, embrace it all. Exactly. Now, you're talking about podcasts, you're talking about reading, and you spend a lot of time doing that. You know, some of the most successful individuals, even those those individuals that are very public in their success and what they do, they talk a lot about how much they read. And for you, it sounds like between podcasts and maybe audiobooks, but you're reading a lot, you're learning a lot. Is there is there a book that you just was so influential for you that you even share to this day? Is there one of those that stand out for you, Tambi? Yeah, the first book I ever read really was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And that book changed my mindset. It changed the way I looked at things and changed the way I even thought of myself. And so then it made me realize, because, you know, uh, you always think that your situation is different. Then it made me realize that, oh, well, I guess some people also went through these situations growing up, which is what we hear from Robert Kiyosaki. So uh, that book really was helpful for me. Having said that, there's a book I recently read called The Big Leap by Gary Hendricks. That's, I've read it over and over again. <laughs> it's just, give me that's a, how give, powerful it is. For give me. me a synopsis. What did you take away from that book? So should listeners be wanting to, you know, consider reading that book? What was it for you in that particular book? Uh, for me, I think it's just how I need to concentrate on my zone of genius because we all have some genius thing in us. We all are good at something. And so if we can just concentrate on our own expertise and stop trying to do the VA work and stop trying to do, you know, like you, Patrick, start cleaning after every rain member, you wouldn't achieve anything. So if you're going to really have a big leap in your business, you just have to do your work of and, and concentrate on your zone of genius. That, so, that really was a big takeaway for me. How do you define your zone of genius? And I don't mean, you, well, I could mean you sp- specifically, share with us if you would like, 
But how does somebody define their zone of genius? Because I think it's great, but I see time and time again, and I can, I'm even guilty of it myself often where I go, I don't know what my genius is because it's normal to me. And so I don't recognize it as being overly great. It's just who I am. So how do people define it? How do you find it? You are a natural leader. That's your zone of genius. You are a leader. <laughs> <laughs> you are. But um, to define to other people, I think the best way to, to kind of find that is to ask a few friends. Uh, if you don't know what your zone of genius is, is to ask a few friends. Um, I did this exercise where I wrote five of my good friends, people who know you very well, and to say, what do you think I'm good at? You know, you know me, you've known me for five years, for 10 years. What do you think I'm good at? And basically based on what people are telling you and also based on your passion, you realize, huh, people are telling me I'm a good leader. So what can I do to concentrate on leadership, uh, leadership positions? And I'm sure for you, it will be leader, but for other people, it could be something different from, you know, it could be helping other people. That's really, for me, that's what it is, helping other people. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. And, and, and I dig into it a little bit because I know those questions are often out there for people is going, gosh, I don't know what I'm good at. I don't know what my genius is. And, and you can't really see it. It's like the accountant or the bookkeeper who's brilliant at numbers or the analyst who can look at the math of a pro forma and make it make sense in an instant where others, it's just like, you know, it's like reading another language. It makes no yeah. sense. Right. So that's kind of cool. So as we wind down the show, I do a little bit of rapid fire stuff, uh, Tembi. Uh, do you have a favorite inspirational quote, given all that you've read and, and what your mindset around stuff is? Do you have an, an inspirational quote that you love? Well, it used to be success is not measured by money. <laughs> it's measured by how many people you impact. And I think that's from you or one of you. I, <laughs> I can't remember who it is, it. Yeah, but yeah. somebody from Ray. Yeah, yeah. But now the one I really like is empowered women have choices. Empowered women can change the world. Love that one. That's great. If heaven exists and you are a Christian, what would you like to hear God say when you get to the gates? Well done, my dear daughter. You have changed many people's lives. Awesome. Is there anything that you're just not very good at that you recognize? Yeah, I don't know how to bike. <laughs> <laughs> And, and I'm trying to find somebody to teach me how to bike. It turns out people don't le teach people how to learn how to bike at 40 years old. It's not fair. <laughs> uh, what's a job that you do that you really don't like, but you do it anyways because you're good at it? I still do my taxes. Oh, I'm surprised by that. I still do. I don't know why, but I still do. I'm not organized enough to send it to somebody else. You, uh, you said, uh, you know, the most impactful book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you know, it's interesting how often that book is changed, you know, how it comes up on, a, uh, on, the, on my interview, people talk about it being their favorite. Is there another one? Give me one more. Uh, the Big Leap by Harry, yep. Hen yep. Harry Hendricks. Yeah. Give me one more. Give and me. The Wolf Art. I like The Wolf Art. Room, desk, or your car. What do you clean first? Desk. <laughs> <laughs> you like a clean desk. Okay, great. Do you have a favorite tune? Seven Nation Army. Mm. No one can hold me back. Okay, and I'm sure it moves around. You have a favorite movie? You've got a six-year-old, so this will be interesting. Well, yeah, it ends up being, what is it, Smiths? That's the one I lost to watch, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Changes all the time. But what's your favorite movie, though? 
you know, I can't say, I don't really watch a lot of movies, so it's hard for me to think which one was my favorite movie, other than Titanic, which was such a long time ago. Mm -hmm. Well, I had a, you know, I had a guest recently that uh, actually talked about one of his favorite movies, an impactful movie for him was Malcolm X. I mean, gosh, how many years ago wow. was that? Yeah. That was a long time ago. So it's interesting. Yeah, Titanic stands out for me, I yeah. guess. Yeah, <laughs> so it's interesting how that is. So, Tambi, what are you grateful for? And I know there's a lot of things, but what are you grateful for today? Grateful for my family, grateful for my children, and just grateful for life, and really grateful to be a Canadian. Mm. I'm grateful to have gotten to know you a little bit better today. I'm grateful to have been able to watch your journey from a distance and then to actually uh, reach out and connect and hear a little bit more detail about your story. It's very, very inspiring. And I'm just, I'm just grateful to, uh, to know you a little bit. So thank you, Tenby. And uh, whatever you got going on, you got to keep us up to date. And probably we're going to have to do this again just to keep us up to speed on all the differences you're making in the world with women. And I uh, look forward to hearing more from your story. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Patrick, for having me. Grateful for that, too. You bet. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others. Share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.